John Lepsey. Okay, so welcome to the Truth to Power show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, VJR Nathan, and uh, usually we air on uh, Mondays at 8 a.m. We're doing a special airing of uh, Truth to Power show on the potluck dinner slot on Friday at 7 p.m. And calling into us live is a speakeasy band um, beginning on the small stage in the Redwood Forest, Northern California. Speakeasy was started by musicians Addie Gobert and Daniel Eric. Um, the two musicians, equally steeped in the musical roots of the blues, jazz, and funk, melded their vision and talents to go the project into a seven-piece neo-soul collective. Speakeasy has been packed uh, has packed well-regarded venues on the West Coast, including the Independent, the Chapel, and Cornerstone. In 2019, they hit the festival circuit, playing music musical festivals such as uh, Lightning in a Bottle, Bear Music Festival, and The Plunge. They had their debut album, Deer Lion, that was released in the winter of 2018. And uh, they just released, I believe, a new uh, new single, Nourish Me, which will play at the end of the, um, of the, of the episode. So uh, welcome, Addy and Daniel. Both of you there online? Thank you so much for having us. Great, great. Thank you. So uh, for, for listeners, why don't we, say, why don't we, because you both kind of spoke at once. So Addy, say hi and say a little bit uh, about yourself, and then I'll go to Daniel. Yeah. So you can distinguish your voices. Okay. Yeah. Hi. My name is Addie Gobert. Um, really excited to be here with you, VJ. And um, yeah, I'm speaking to you from Oakland, California, um, just early afternoon. And yeah, Daniel and I just released a single eight days ago called Nourish Me. It was a live recording that we did with a good one of our friends, um, Apple, uh, Robin Applewood. And, uh, yeah, I'll hand it over to Daniel. Yeah, Daniel. I'm Daniel. I uh, am the other half of Speakeasy, and I appreciate you having us on your show. This will be fun. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, you know, I'm always interested whenever I bring musicians on and, you know, how they meld together genres and create a new vision, uh, you know, a unique voice, how they're able to, um, you know, uh, experiment and bring together uh, the different um, kind of schools of music, I guess you might call it, the lineages, your lineage, if you will. Um, tell us a little bit about how you discovered the unique sound of Speakeasy and um, like what was kind of the experimentation process maybe did you go through or how did you kind of create that? Was it just something that was naturally flowing or how did you create that with seven? And then, yeah, as you bring in more people, you know, bringing in more and more, um, you know, voices. So either one you can start and then, you know, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Do you want to start it? Do you want me to take it? Why don't you take it, Daniel? So I had had a vision of a band surrounding Adrian and I through the creation of when I was working on my solo album before Adrian and I had started Speakeasy and we co-wrote one song on my album and then it was kind of like, oh wow, this is a really great sound like when we write music together. And from that, I had been already gigging all over the Bay with just various different bands and kind of had my eye on a few different players that I was really, really interested in working with and thought that they could mesh really well with the sound, one of them being Brandon Farmer, our drummer, and um, and Ryan Schaefer, our guitar player. And once I had 
them, and we all met up and got in the same room, and it sounded so good. I felt like very safe in sharing the rest of Adrian and I's ideas with a bigger group because once we had the validation of like two amazing people that we really respect, it was like, okay, well, let's just keep building on this. So. Yeah, yeah. And Addy, why yeah. tell us a little bit about? Um, also, I believe you write you write the the lyrics as well. Are you you primarily write the lyrics or? Yeah, so so Daniel and I, uh, the very first time we wrote music together, we were just kind of kicking it right on the bay, like in a boatyard, a marina, Um, and he was sharing some ideas with me that were really rooted in neo-soul and jazz, Um, and Daniel and I both have a pretty extensive music background. Um, Daniel's from Missouri and has played uh, a lot of jazz, a lot of funk, a lot of rock. Um, and I previously went to school for vocal jazz. So um, we both have pretty heavy jazz backgrounds, but love funk, love Motown, love R&B. Um, and, and that's really, those genres have given birth to neo-soul, which I think just is kind of the, uh, the best of all of them. But um, in any case, Daniel has been really interested in writing a lot on both uh, bass and guitar, and most recently he's actually taking up the drums. Um, But he showed me some of his ideas. This was about just over two years ago now. Um, And what happened was really just noticing what melodies and what lyrics came up, which is kind of still how we write our music. Um, That's part of the reason that we have the name Speakeasy is that... um, just collaborating and writing together is just very easy. Um, and yes, I am predominantly in charge of writing lyrics. So Daniel uh, gives me great feedback and kind of topics he wants to write about. You know, sometimes those are more directed of like, I want to think about like this kind of scene and, and painting this kind of picture with lyrics. And sometimes it's just feedback like, okay, no more breakup songs. <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah, And then, um, so now, well, I think something about um, yeah, nourish me. You just released also the music, the music video live as well. So you can look that up. Um, and just to clarify for the listeners, uh, speaking is spelled with an e with the line over it, so as opposed to y, the way it's traditionally spelled. Um, was there? How did you come across? The, the, I guess is that the phonetic way of, I guess the phonetic thing of uh, of saying the word or uh, with the e with the line or. That's, yeah, I guess, the phonetically exactly. how it's said, right? Yeah, yeah. So, and then you, how is the process exactly. as a business? Like, tell us a little bit about how marrying, you know, you were discussing a little bit we were in your pre-interviews about, you know, the discovery process of taking your creative visions. And, you know, a lot of times a lot of people have many, um, many people, many artists have lots of creativity and lots of, you know, things that they want to say, things in, in poetry or music, but then marrying it to a business. And then, you know, uh, tell us a little bit about your process in that and, um, and how that journey has unfolded for you. Well, it's, it's, it's certainly in a learning process, I would say, you know, cause it's, you're not, you're like in partnership and I would be totally crazy if I didn't mention and give a shout out to our, our amazing manager who definitely helps facilitate, um, everything, you know, and she's amazing. Her name's Sarah Travis. So she definitely is instrumental in kind of helping us both navigate 
uh, the music industry and each other and our challenges with each other and like just you know everything. So there's kind of a third silent person that's really helped facilitate a lot of things on the business end of things. Mm. And uh, Adi, you were also talking about a little bit about how your practices might help uh, uh, facilitate kind of, you know, just keeping yourself uh, mindful and, and present and all these kinds of practices help you as a businesswoman as well, you know, to, uh, I think you mentioned mantra recitation as being something, a essential practice that helps you bring you centered or just tell us a little bit about some of the, you know, um, personal things that you do in your spiritual practice or, or otherwise uh, that help center you as a, as an artist and, a, and a, as a business person, yeah. Yeah, so it's definitely multifaceted, as Daniel was talking about, in terms of what our creative partnership looks like. We recently took the plunge and started calling one another work husband and work wife. <laughs> I'm the work husband and Daniel's the work wife. Yeah. Um, and like that kind of partnership, it, it has a lot of different facets, so I'll just kind of add to what Daniel was saying, which is um, we have our creative you know, partnership that's basically like the easiest. Our writing process is so easy, and um, we're very fortunate to be working with increasingly more talented musicians. I mean, increasingly meaning more number, more in terms of the number of musicians that we get to work with. Um, recently we added Natalie John and Eli Mollywan, um, to our roster, um, and we've been writing a lot of horn lines and, um, additional background harmony parts with them. And so we really kind of have this musical family and there's different dynamics, different personalities, and everybody kind of adds something different. Like, you know, Eli is very, very skilled at transcription and has a great ear for jazz. And he can really um, take some of my ideas. I was formerly a horn player and take them to the next level. And then Natalie just has a great idea of overall, you know, what the sound might sound good with this kind of layer, this type of effect on the trumpet or this kind of kind of vocal layering. So, um, so that's really cool. But yeah, in terms of the business side of things, um, Daniel and I can't do anything without our manager, Sarah. It's great having a third person to kind of like be the tiebreaker. And Daniel and I have like a very, uh, brother, sister kind of love, hate type of relationship. I think most people think that we're dating, <laughs> but I'm pretty, I think it's pretty safe to say that that won't happen. I don't know. What do you think, Daniel? No way. <laughs> <laughs> but everyone at our shows is always really surprised to hear that we're not dating. But we're definitely yeah. super close, super close friends. Um, and to answer your question about, you know, how a spirituality practice comes into play, um, you know, I won't speak too much for Daniel, but I know that Daniel has a philosophy that music is really um, a healing a healing modality. So, like, um, he uses it and we use it going to do a lot of different volunteer gigs and, and play music um, for basically underserved populations or people that can't get out to see music. But I'll let Daniel talk a little bit more about that. Um, but, yeah, with I think we both share the lens that, that music is deeply healing. Um, and so we use music individually to get us through hard times and, and kind of pour ourselves into Um and the interesting thing 
for me at least about playing music is that when I'm when I'm writing new music or performing, um, unless there's something very technical I'm trying to do with my voice or I'm still practicing how to hit that high note or get, or get a certain effect, I'm really not thinking about anything. Um, I'm just like a channel or like a conduit for the creativity to flow through. So I definitely have um, a belief that I'm really just, I'm getting these songs passed to me from um, a deeper knowing, a deeper truth that we all share um, and ways that I access that in normal life because I can't always just be, you know, (laughs) in a state of bliss singing and performing um, is through mindfulness, meditations and things like that. But um, it very often happens and I find my flow um, just in the writing and collaborating process with Daniel. Yeah, so Daniel, uh, I was hinting a little bit towards your work, so why don't you elaborate a little bit more on that, yeah. Well, so in relation to this idea that music is healing, there's no doubt you and I could, everyone pretty much agrees that music is one of the most amazing things, types of art that we have in life. And when you're sad, it makes it can make you feel better. When you're happy, it can make you even more happy and everything in between. And so Adrian and I both definitely are firm believers in the healing power of music and spend a lot of time working for or volunteering for organizations like uh, Bread and Roses, which was started in 1974 by Joan Baez and Mimi Farina, um, basically with the goal to bring uplifting live music to isolated parts of society. And so I've been doing those types of gigs for many years now. I've played in San Quentin twice. I've played in many different jails and uh, juvenile halls and homeless shelters and drug rehabilitation centers and various different places for that. And it's always a really interesting spiritual experience for me because you're meeting these people at one of the hardest moments of their entire lives, and you're just there for the sole reason to make them feel connected to themselves and connected to life and to bring a moment of just true true feeling. And I feel lucky every day that my gift on this planet is making music, whether that's on guitar or bass or drums or singing or whatever that is, just bringing that vibration to the earth is like what I've been sent here to do, I feel like. Great, great. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so thinking about uh, the evolution of um, your own exposure to music and how your your uh, influences, I know a lot of times, you know, when we talk about influences, it, it gets easy to feel like, oh, we're just kind of name dropping or something like that. But, you know, going beyond just uh, particular, um, uh, you know, musicians, but rather the transition in your life, like how from a young age you were listening to X, Y, and Z and how it um it changed over the course of your life. So your evolution in your creative process or as a listener might be a good thing to talk about. Like how, um, how you, you were talking a little bit about how bring, music can bring joy and how that joy kind of changes and matures in yourself. Yeah. Sure. I'll take, I'll start with that one. Yeah. So, um, I actually grew up going to a lot of kind of gospel churches. And so that's definitely a big influence for me. But I was just thinking about this the other day because I was taking a hip-hop class and this Mary J. Blige song um, <laughs> came on. 
And I remembered this very distinct memory of being a very young child and going to the CD store for the first time and singing to one of the um, one of the people that worked in the store, trying to trying to sing this Mary J. Blige song I had heard um, at a really, really young age. I think it was off of her album, No More Drama. Uh Um, Anyways, it was... So anyways, I'm still a very big Mary J. Blige fan. Um, (laughs) I guess what I'm trying to say is that my musical tastes, like, really haven't changed. I just think I listen to probably more Justin Timberlake now (laughs) than I did when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but also about getting into the gospel aspect. So talking a little bit about that. So um, what, what was the kind of the religious uh, atmosphere like when growing up and, and how is your, the philosophies or, or um, spiritual traditions around you? How's that vibrations uh, evolved? Yeah. Yeah. So um, Daniel was raised in a Jewish household and I was raised in all kinds of different uh, with different kinds of religions. So, um, and my parents were divorced. And so in one household, we practiced Judaism. And then in another household, we were Catholic turned, Catholics turned into kind of like evangelical Christians. Um, and then my grandparents were Jewish, but highly Buddhist, uh, influenced. So that was kind of my upbringing. Cool, cool. And Daniel? Yeah, for, for, for me, it was weird. There was, there was only one musical soul in my entire family, like one that was like really dedicated, and that was my grandfather. And he was a Holocaust survivor. He, he was Orthodox Jewish, and he was a well-known Jewish cantor. And so he would go and be like an honored person to lead the services and I always just remember going to see him and it was always like oh okay Zadie's on the stand there's Zadie's up up there you know praying and everyone always just fell quiet when he would sing and I remember that energy from the time that I was a kid and then you know I almost it was like he was superhuman in those moments and for me that definitely helped me like learn that I have an ear and that I I listen and that like over over time his voice I feel like it's passed on through me in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. Um I would just share that um yeah, a similar kind of idea with me like you know, the spiritual traditions I grew up in a lot of times had some singing or some musical component to it. So we'd go to budgeons and, you know, sometimes we'd sing together. The group would sing this religious songs or devotional songs, like similar to gospel, where, and in many churches they have, where we're all kind of singing together and uh, they have a leader and a response, all this kind of thing. And these are all very powerful imprints on, on many people. I think as you we were, as we were explaining how music is both healing and, and empowering and, and spiritual and it really touches on the, the power of life um, that uh, I think performance, you know, for you guys, I'm sure, is, is another taking it to the next level and bringing, bringing the audiences in on it. And uh, so that's my next question leading into the next topic about, um, you know, going out there and performing live in front of audiences. How is that, you know, telling a little bit of the experience of that as opposed to performing in the studio or recording? And tell us a little bit about kind of your experiences of performing live. 
Adrian, do you want to take this one? Yeah. Sure. Um, so Daniel and I have been performing together as Speakeasy for um, a couple of years now. We started playing shows in fall of, um, of 2017. Um, just speaking from, from my background, um, my performances were predominantly doing dance. And then I was in like, you know, musical theater as a kid and in high school. And I started playing in a jazz band when I was eight, uh, playing the saxophone. And I did that through my, um, my senior year of college. So that's kind of how I performed, but I really didn't get into like fronting bands or playing in rock bands um, until I was later in in high school, um, high school and college, where my very first band uh, that actually played out and got gigs was called Dad Time, <laughs> like D A D Time, Dad time. Um, and we were a reggae band based on Martha's Vineyard, and um, yeah, I think we I think we drank beer. Um, and surfed more than we actually practiced music, but <laughs> it's a good time. But Daniel has a very different, um, a kind of different performance background, so I'll let him talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, I, my first show, I believe I was five years old, and I was on a table. I was in kindergarten, I want to say, or maybe I was in first grade, and I was on this table, and it was a performance about confidence. Right. And I was sitting or standing on this table with my red guitar, and I played "Bad to the Bone" in front of like 350 people <laughs> with my sunglasses on. That's great. And there's this really great picture of it, and it's so weird because I have the picture of it, and I like know the date of my first show. Oh. And since then, I like through all through basically my entire childhood was just a blend of being in bands and gigging mostly locally in Missouri where I was from, home of Chuck Berry and Miles Davis, which I'm proud to say. Um, and then I decided to move out to California and really do music fully. And I've had many, I can't even estimate how many gigs I've done at this point, but I will say that it's probably ranging in the thousands. And it's so, it's, it's just, Performing live is like uh, one of the most fulfilling and and amazing ways to connect your art with you know people's true emotions. Like a lot of times, like on Spotify, if somebody hears a song and they're like, "I re that really resonated with me," and they hit you up on Facebook, it's not the same than as if someone right after the show is like in tears, like that was a beautiful moment. Thank you for you know singing that and sharing that experience or whatever that moment was for them and so for me that's when like live music is really at its best the the lights and the space between the audience and like the distance is not really what motivates me to perform live it's more the idea that like i could totally heighten somebody's experience of their own lives through just me sharing my art yeah so uh, now I'm curious about uh, one of the questions I had asked previously was about what has been your most valuable uh, failure thus far. And one of you two wrote not getting a tech job. So now I'm curious which one of you wrote that since it seems like it doesn't appear like you were really going for that. So I'm curious now. Oh, there was a time. There was a time. You 
you know, it's weird because we live in, we live, Adrian and I both live in the Bay Area with the tech boom. It's like San Francisco was once known as this glorious place in the 60s for absolute freedom of creativity and expression and, you know, letting your freak flag fly. And now as tech is here, which is, I'm not saying is a bad thing. There's a lot of great things about it. It's definitely made the cost of living here much higher. And so what a lot of my friends have done is they've taken tech jobs, either remote tech jobs or quasi-remote tech jobs, and then they have to do music only part-time. Yeah. And they, and, and, that's, and there's nothing like, but that's a very common thing here in the Bay because that tech jobs obviously have a lot wider scope of benefits and like uh, work as a solo performer, you know, as a performer, there's not much infrastructure in place to like health benefits or dental insurance for musicians or any of these things. Like it, it, it. Oh, I yeah, say totally. it was my best failure. I'm referring to like, at one point I thought that maybe I should just do that. And then I it didn't end up working out and I'm super grateful it didn't because now I do what I do now, which is share music with little kids and teach them how to be connected to uh, music. No, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really great. I say, and we do, um, you know, learn a lot from where, you know, what we perceive as a failure, you know, just trying something and trying going out there and, you know, doing different things, experimenting and seeing what lands and, you know, a lot of times, many people have gone through many careers and, you know, I myself have gone through these a couple, and I'm I'm still pretty young. But you know, just going through different uh, uh, aspects of our careers and, and stages in our careers, yeah, definitely, definitely. So, um, so now talking a little bit about um, one of the questions was about um, uh, not counting your own work. What uh, what other works would you want everyone in the world to experience? Um, I guess one of you put down the music lesson, but anything anything you want to say about. Uh, what different works out, out there, the artistic efforts of others that you really feel compelled enough to, uh, that you feel like everyone should experience. Yeah. Yeah. I'll take that one. Um, first I want to say you were asking about live performances before, and I just wanted to give a little plug for the music video that you mentioned for nourish me. That is, um, that song that we just released is totally a live take and um, and has the associated music video with it. So um, if you're listening, pull out your phones, follow us on Instagram, follow us on Facebook. That's Speakeasy with an E at the end, S-P-E-A-K-E-A-S-E. Um, and you can see what the whole band looks like in the flesh. Um, but to answer your question about, um, you know, what other artists, um, it kind of flows into your last question too of like what's your biggest regret or a thing that you haven't done and for me it's that I wasn't creating and putting more music out there sooner um, I was very you know I, until Daniel really started pushing me I was always performing in the background um, as a backup singer or a backup instrumentalist and um, I'm really grateful to, to Daniel and um, I just wish that I had been writing and having this this same kind of external support, but having it internally from a younger age, um, because I wonder what kind of musician I'd be now. And, and a big tool that I've found very helpful and a lot of artists have found helpful is The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. 
Um, it's a book that's almost 30 years old now. Um, it's a 12-week series of exercises, about 10 pages of reading a week, and then there's different exercises you do daily or weekly. Um, and the whole premise of the book is how to unblock yourself creatively. Basically, um, how to get out of your own way and, and put your ego aside and your judgments aside so that, again, you can kind of just be this conduit for creativity to flow through. Um, so that's, that's what I think everybody should experience, regardless if you're a musician or a painter or a dancer or, you know, your creative form is creating memes for the Internet. Like, creativity is, is pretty boundless, um, but I think everybody would benefit from from her teachings. Thank you, thank you. And Danielle, do you want to take anything in this question? Did we lose Danielle or is he still there? Yeah. We might have lost Danielle, but Daniel. I'll grab him. All right, cool. No, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. I'm here. All right, cool. I had, yeah. my, I had my phone on mute while you were talking about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, so go ahead, yeah. I, my, I call it my music Bible, and it's a book called the Music Lesson by Victor Wooten, who's, uh, you know, like a, probably like a 10-time Grammy Award-winning bass player with Bela Fleck and the Fleck Tones, highly considered one of the most virtuosic bass players of all time. And I, it, it, for me, it, it connects music with life and the human elements of, like, emotion and connection and space between notes and just like there's space between people and all these analogies how music is essentially a microcosm of life and in conversation and in relationships and yeah so that that was uh definitely a game changer when i read that book cool cool and uh in regards to um uh, what was it? Yeah, so basically just uh, talking a little bit more about um, uh, when, when you go to a live performance, how you experience that kind of, what you want your audiences to get and how you've experienced it when you go to live performances. Because um, sometimes I feel like, you know, for at least as, a, as, a, as someone who's a, uh, who goes, I don't go to live performances that much, but sometimes I feel like, oh, you know, like you look at the negative, you know, that people are smoking up or, you know, there's a lot of uh, drug use and there's a lot of like kind of cramped and all that kind of thing. And those negative things can sometimes, you know, you just feel like really claustrophobic. And But there's, they, you know, a lot of times in venues, they're very spacious and very great and I feel like very free. So talking a little bit about kind of st some of the aspects of, of from yourself, what you hope to engender in community and your listeners and, um, and talk a little bit about how people have come up to you and had said they've had a moving experience or whatever. So focusing on that and how uh, you've had both, um, how your listeners have, have, have an impact on you. So Vadi, you want to take Adrian? that? Adrian, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, so we get, we have a, just a, the huge privilege to perform in front of, in front of all kinds of populations. So um, just earlier this week, we were at a juvenile detention center, um, I think they're called juvenile justice centers, but they're basically prisons for kids. Really sad um, places to go. So we've, we've gone there. We, we also get to play in traditional venues. We play corporate events and weddings. And um, I find that the most moving shows for me um, are the ones where I can really connect like 
soul to soul eye contact, you know, by making eye contact or what, what people say in, in terms of how they're touched. Um, and a lot of what people tell me um, personally, and I'm sure Daniel will have a different answer, is just that the lyrics that um, they heard really resonated with them. And, you know, maybe they're going through a challenging breakup. And, and while, while we all have our own different experiences in breakups, it's, it's really amazing what music can do when it comes to being able to give you a new perspective on the same kind of challenge of, you know, unpartnering with somebody, for example. Um, and something I want to add is that I think music is different than language in that language has so much meaning, but when you add a note, a vibration, a certain tone, an effect, it it creates something that's emotional and, uh, and evocative in a way that you can't just capture with lyrics or with words. And so our music is definitely not just about the lyrics. It's also about the kind of vibration that you literally feel in your body, in your chest, um, or, or the tones, whether they're minor or a major seventh or ninth or eleventh or some crazy chord that doesn't even have a name that Daniel's come up with. Um, yeah. And I think, I think to add to that, like you were saying, doing such dynamic different like areas of performance, for example, like the feeling that I get when I perform at a packed venue full of like, you know, 400 fans or whatever, 500 fans, is totally different than the sensation that I get after playing for the kids in the juvenile detention center. It's just, um, it's a different thing. And so it, it feels like for me, energetically, when we do things like with the full band, that it, it wants to be more of like a joyous sharing occasion and very much like a, we want to facilitate movement and we want to facilitate dance and just really high vibrations versus, for example, we do a lot of duo shows, just Adrian and I, where there's a lot more talking about backgrounds of the songs or, or just like with the kids, we talk about like, you know, what kind of music they like or, and, um, or at so far shows, which are the audiences are generally a little older, will play thing music that makes them feel um, like, like home or like something that's very familiar for them. And that's also a really cool feeling when you can make people feel like they're, you're playing music that they really know and resonate with them. So I'd say all those avenues are just like fill different parts of my soul. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really great because a lot of times people uh, have this perception that when they go into music or when they go into something uh, creative, they expect, you know, success being in terms of like, you know, I got to play in bigger venues, bigger and bigger venues, and I got to, you know, sell more tickets. Or I, gotta, I know, I know, I just perceive that, at least on my own end, as a writer, I'm like, oh, I want to sell more copies of my work because I want to get more exposure to different audiences and all this kind of thing. But, um, it's good to focus in on the impact you're having in the audiences that are with you and that you're having an impact on them. That for you, uh, I, I'm hearing that, you know, going to these centers where, you know, um, you know, the people are, are disenfranchised. You're trying to, you're empowering them. You're helping them connect with their emotions. And that's so important in today's society to uh, spotlight and to remember that, uh, you know, we, we're here, as artists, we're here to, um, 
you know, help uh, people who are less fortunate or who ha- and can, can help them become empowered and, and live, partake in the creative uh, freedom and such. So that's very good. And thinking about how we, um, you know, how we give that meaningful life, we live living a meaningful life and where we get our meaning from. Um, if you expand a little bit more on that and um, what do you consider a meaningful life um, and, uh, and how can we, how do you build on that or how do you, do you have any frustrations with, uh, you know, uh, are you doing more ambitions or do you have, are you feel like you're, you're going along at a steady pace or how is your perception of that? Yeah. Daniel, why don't you take that one? Oh yeah. <laughs> well, I would say the most interesting thing is how often it changes. Sometimes I wake up and there's days where it feels like things are moving super fast and, it's like, whoa, this is awesome. This is going amazing. And then obviously there's days that are extremely challenging and there's, you know, just things that aren't getting responded to or whatever things that are, you know, and every day is totally different and presents new challenges. But like generally I definitely try to maintain um, an outlook that's, that's just positive and that, and it's that it's steady. And it's like I always give the analogy of cooking and how bands can either be the pot can be on like high and it'll be boiling, or you put it on simmer on some days, right? Yeah, and, that's really good. Yeah, but it's always it's always rolling and yeah. it's always moving. That's great. That's great. That's a great analogy. I think you know because it really talks about life and how. You know, we just don't want to shut off. The, we don't want to give up. We want to keep it going. And sometimes it'll be a little higher. Sometimes it'll be a little simmer. We know things are cooking and things are going. So, Addy, you want to take a little bit about that? And then, yeah, I think that it we we operate on kind of like a three to six month schedule in terms of what we're wanting and our goals. And we have to stay. You know, as a band, we also want to goal-oriented in terms of, you know, what's the kind of music that we're putting out there? What are the kind of, like, there's a bit on, like, what is the kind of recognition we have, we want to have, or what are the venues that we want to play at, but it's, like, it's more around, like, how do we want to engage with people? How can we up our performances and help people come to life a little bit more? Um, but, but having those opportunities, you know, on a week-to-week basis, it, like Daniel said, it can look like, okay, we need a project plan, and we need to figure out how to raise a bunch of money so we can, you know, record new music. And, and sometimes it's just like we need to put our heads together and um, and just spend some time talking through how to best engage the audience. That's great. So, so I would say it, it's kind of constantly shifting. So would you like to, maybe I should play a song so that then we can all listen to it together and then uh, we can comment on the song. Um, I was thinking Narshmi would be the obvious choice. I can play now and then we'll, st- we'll still have till 8 o'clock though. So we'll have four minutes to listen to the song and then we can just kind of reconvene in about four minutes to um, talk a little bit about that song and maybe a little bit more about or maybe other songs that um, have influenced you, okay? Great, great. Thank you. Uh, So I'll play Narshmi. People can listen to it. But we'll be back in about right after the song. Thank you. Let me just uh, make sure I get the... uh, You guys hear it? I hear it. You hear it? Okay, great. 
So welcome back. Uh, this is the Truth to Power show on Ready for Brooklyn. Once again, we're in our last uh, about 10 minutes or so. Um, so I'm here with uh, Addie Gobert and Daniel Eric uh, of um, Speakeasy Band. They're calling us live from California. Um, so we're, we were talking a little bit about uh, creativity and, um, you know, different aspects of uh, making music and um, the different genres surrounding uh, the sound that we were just listening to, uh, neo soul, and how the um, relationships and themes that themes that you're exploring in, your, in, the, in the writing of the music as well, um, 
you know, being relationships, I guess, would you say, or about love and, and the meaning of love and connection and empowerment? What, what would you say? How would you, how would you say it, Addie? Yeah, I would say um, many of our songs are about relationships um, with other people, but we also have several songs that are about um, our connection to ourselves and finding yourself um, and, you know, kind of losing your voice and then coming back into it. So Dear Lion is a good example of that. Um, Super Ego. Super Ego, yeah, I was thinking that. Yeah, Yeah, I was listening to that right before the interview and I was... And Queen Bee being about, I guess, uh, empowerment and such. Um, but yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, and how how do you, how do you see yourself? Um, where do you see yourself going uh, with the band now? And and where, where do you where do you see yourself exploring uh, as you continue? Or, or is there any goals that you want to share in your next in your next uh, stages of your um, development? Go for uh, it, Daniel. Daniel, yeah, yeah. Um, I would say a lot of goals for me are some of the obvious ones, which is play bigger venues to more people and get our message out to the most people as possible. There's a lot of really cool, like, milestones as an artist that I would feel very much empowered if I got to be a part of, one of them being, like, South by Southwest, for example, or being part of the Grammy Foundation, or... Just getting an opportunity to play at more historic venues and get our our brand and our songs out to people because I really think it will resonate with people. And so, yeah, I and and I I have a steady and firm belief that it'll happen. And so, yeah, that's that's how I view everything. Yeah, great, great, Nadi. Yeah, I I want us to continue to be making authentic music. Um, I'm really excited about some collaborations that we're working on uh, for later this year. So that feels really exciting to me. And um, yeah, every I, I I second everything that Daniel says. I I really want to record more music, um, especially now that we've really dialed our sound in. Um, that would be really exciting for me. So we're doing it slowly. Great, great. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, let's say, um, so now let's talk a little bit about uh, where you're playing next so that then people can follow you and such as we start to wind down. Uh, where can people follow you and where can people uh, find out more about your adventures and such? Uh, why don't you, do you have any, I can also pull up on the website uh, if, you, if, you can't, if you don't have it ready. Um, let me see Instagrams yeah, and such. Yeah, or? we know. Yeah, we, good, we know yeah. where we're playing. Good, so, good. Yeah, yeah, of um, course, yeah. We're playing um, in Sonoma this coming weekend at um, an amazing food pairing event where the chefs listen to our music and they pair um, they pair a special dish um, and cocktail with our performance um, with several other bands. Um, again, you can go to our website and link to tickets to all of these. That's going to be a really incredible event, farm-to-table event. Um, and then next week we have two great shows. Um, one is on Thursday at the Cornerstone in Berkeley. With uh, we're playing actually with a bunch of our close friends, Calvin Arnesia, Caitlin Gemma and the Goodness, and King Dream. Um, so that's Thursday at the Cornerstone in downtown Berkeley. And then on Saturday night we'll be playing at the Mystic Theater in Petaluma in the North Bay. 
with our friends Royal Jelly Dive, um, and we're also really excited about that. Great, great. So, Danielle, um, also to talk a little bit about, why don't you pick one song and tell us a little bit about maybe some thoughts or anything? Because um, now we're just in a few more minutes. You just got to, uh, maybe a song that, that you from an artist or whatever that really um, resonated with you. Just pick like one song and then we'll just, we'll start to wind down. Yeah, or if Daniel wants to put anything I, else in. Yeah. I choose Joe Scott, A Long Walk. Uh, and the reason why I chose that song is because it's a great combination where the music just fits the lyrics perfectly. It feels like when you're listening to it, you're on a walk. Thank you. Thank you. And Addy? Uh, seconded. <laughs> All right. Cool, cool. So I have a few announcements. Um, this is Ready for Brooklyn. Ready for Brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose uh, mission is to provide a free and open platform to the community and uh, please support independent community media by um, going to readyforbrooklyn.org slash donate. Every cent helps us continue to stay on air. So please support independent community media by pledging whatever you can afford. All contributions tax deductible to full extent to law. You can donate to Ready for Brooklyn by shopping on Amazon Smile. Amazon Charity Initiative, where you can shop and support a nonprofit of your choice at the same time. It costs you nothing. Just go to readyforbrooklyn.org slash smile, or you can go to readyforbrooklyn.org slash truth to power and uh, sponsor this particular show. Um, in regards to um, uh, Ready for Brooklyn, has a fall music festival coming up on 1027. So if you're tuning in from the East Coast, um, the start time is at 5 p.m. to 12 a.m., uh, in uh, Grand Street, 1031 Grand Street in Brooklyn. Um, Ready for Brooklyn is excited to present its first ever fall music festival on October 27th. Come enjoy seven hours of live music, food, and an array of local vendor vendors at East Williamsburg Venue, Sunnyvale, which is located at 1031 Grand Street. Uh, and um, we'd like you to join us. So go to readyforbrooklyn.org slash fallfest. Um, after more than a year of dreaming, researching, experimenting, late night conference calls, and early Saturday morning meetings, the Me Team is happy to uh, present the Me Bottle. This double insulated, reusable stainless steel bottle disinfects water in a 60 second cycle, utilizing UVC LED technology, and is 99.99% effective against E. coli. A single charge via micro USB lasts up to 30 days, and the bright LED display lets you know when water is ready to drink. Join us and bring clean water to all. Raise your bottle and drink to you and me. Find out more at mebottle.com. And uh, people can find out about our other shows at radioforbrooklyn.org slash truth to power. Listen in on, I believe we're on like episode like somewhere in the 90s. So on November 11th, we're going to hit 100 episodes. So definitely tune in to the 1111 episode uh, for our 100th episode. Uh, it's been about two years this show has been going on the air. And we're very pleased to... Um, you know, I've had different co-hosts and, you know, definitely go through that and find your, 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 uh, your power episode, if you will. Uh, so thanks so much, guys. And if you have any last thoughts or last comments, shout, shout outs, definitely go ahead. And then we'll, we'll play uh, Super Ego, I think, or one of, the, uh, one of the songs. I think Dear Lion I'll play. I'll play Dear Lion, actually. All right, go Why ahead. don't you play Queen Bee? Queen Bee? Okay. All right, cool, cool. Queen I'll Bee. play Queen Bee to go yeah. out. All right, um, cool. Just thank you so much for having us, BJ. It was thank really you. nice to do this. And, um, yeah, shout out to everybody that's listening. Come and see us next week if you're in the Bay Area um, at Cornerstone or the Mystic. If you um, if you message us on Instagram, 
we will uh, we will add the first three people that message us directly from Radio Free Brooklyn onto our personal guest list. Um, and we'll even give you a drink ticket if you're lucky. Great, great. Thank you. Yeah. Very, very fortunate uh, offer for our listeners. Definitely go do that. Follow the instructions. And, and uh, Dan, do you have any last thoughts or last comments? Just thank you so much for having us. It was great to chat. And thank you for having such uh, great questions for us and being kind enough to have us. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's so great to have you guys on. So we'll be listening to uh, Queen Bee. It might uh, go into another song if we have this time, but we'll just listen to a little bit of From Speakeasy. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, Jay. Bye, bye. Hey, thank you. Thank you. Take care. Have a good one. Have a good one.
You got me working so hard 